Welcome to the MedTech Talent Lab, the number one catalyst for advancing careers and building high-performance teams. Sponsored by the Anthony Michael Group, helping companies secure in-demand talent in regulatory affairs, quality, clinical, engineering, R&D, and other areas for medical device, digital health, diagnostics, and other organizations across the U.S. life sciences sector. Here's your host, Mitch Robbins. Hey, hey, welcome back to another live episode here on the MedTech Talent Lab podcast, where we talk all things talent related, uh, especially within the MedTech industry. Mitch Robbins coming at you from the Anthony Michael Group, the founder and managing director of the search firm, helping uh, organizations across MedTech to build high-performing teams. Joined, as always, uh, by Adam Sapi here from the Anthony Michael Group, as well as Nick Swig, our good buddy in the industry, a talent acquisition veteran in his own right. Guys, we're a few minutes late here, so without further ado, we're going to just jump right into today's topic, which is how to properly and thoroughly negotiate salaries. And I put up a post on this earlier today that, and it started off with a stat from Glassdoor, which if you haven't heard of Glassdoor is basically where people can rant and rave or speak praises of their previous or current employers. And also it's got a variety of data straight from people who are working in these positions on salary. And the stat was that 59% of people don't even attempt to negotiate their compensation package when they're presented with an offer. And so with that in mind and with the context that what we're talking about today is assuming that you're not working with a third-party headhunter and you have been presented with an offer by a company, this is the first time you've seen the offer, what do you do at that point, right? And how do you actually negotiate effectively to where you can sleep at night feeling like you didn't necessarily leave anything on the table, but simultaneously didn't necessarily put a target on your back and ask for too much so that there's too much expected of you from day one because they gave you the farm, right? Yeah. And so, Nick, we're going to lean on you a lot, man, because you come from it, you know, the insider perspective. And I know that you operate a little bit differently when it comes to how you present offers to candidates and how you present compensation to begin with. But I want to also set the stage that when we're talking about negotiations here, we're not just talking about your salary. There's so many things within a compensation package that you may not necessarily realize can be negotiation levers, but they really can be. And so we'll kind of dig into those things uh, today as well. But let me ask you this, Nick, as a candidate yourself over the years, have you negotiated your package? And if you have, where in the process have you done that? Oh, boy, you would ask me this. This is going to be embarrassing for this particular show. <laughs> no, I haven't. It's a genuine conversation, I guess. I mean, it is, it is. And we, we've got to be authentic here. But the, the truth is, the situations that I've been in have been such that I did not feel I needed to or even should negotiate. I felt that the offers that I've gotten over the years were highly competitive, totally appropriate, and so did not choose to negotiate. Not that I haven't negotiated a million offers, but I will admit right here for everybody watching that I have not negotiated my own. <laughs> okay. And so fair enough. So thanks for being honest. So there's probably, I'm actually glad that you said that because I guarantee you there's people listening to this live or listening to the replay. And by the way, if you're here with us live, just comment down below live. Not only does it let you know, let us know who's sitting here watching us uh, speak right into the camera, not knowing who's at the other end, but it helps your colleagues through the LinkedIn algorithm be able to get access to this information as well. So we appreciate that. But the fact that you said that, I guarantee you there's others watching thinking, well, 
this is pretty competitive. I don't necessarily need to rock, upset the apple cart or rock the boat and ask for more when I feel like this is good enough. And I think the contrary view to that is, well, geez, if you don't ask, you, you don't get, right? And I think that more organizations than not are expecting candidates to, to negotiate. And so I do think that there's room always because I think that unless it's been where this person is just, they're going out of their way, they have to make exceptions to the rules, they're offering more than the the stated range or they're offering the top of the range. I think more often than not, there is something that can be negotiated if you ask. And so why don't we just jump into that? So let's talk about maybe the criteria that you can consider when you're negotiating your compensation package. Clearly, the obvious ones are your salary. Hey, is there room on the salary? Another one is a sign-on bonus. Yep. Another one is they want to offer me a performance incentive. They told me 10%. Maybe that can be 15%. Maybe it could be 20% because they can't meet me on the salary. Okay. Those things are kind of the obvious pieces. What else comes to mind, Adam, when you talk about different pieces that can be negotiated within a compensation? And, and equity play could be involved in that as well. If, if the, the lever on base has to be lower for, for some reason, um, PTO, a lot of people take PTO as gospel and sometimes it is, and maybe Nick will be able to uh, way in either way. But I think sometimes you're able to negotiate a little bit more or not, not going from two weeks to unlimited PTO, but maybe, hey, here's a business case of, can I get to three weeks? Or, hey, I have a vacation coming up or something like that. Uh, tuition reimbursement's one that's come up a lot, actually, for me recently. Is there a policy in place now? Yes. Great. If not, can we talk about it? And if, if there's not a formal tuition reimbursement, can that be a sign-on bonus or a retention bonus where it's grossed up to help offset some of that cost? So those are some of the things that I see on, on a fairly regular basis. Nice. And anything else stick out to you, Nick, that you're thinking of? Uh, boy, well, some of those, just in terms of sign-on bonuses, sometimes those get paid, yes, right, when you join, but there's also potentially the opportunity to add those with a, a lag, right? So you get a three-part sign-on bonus, the first part right after you join, second part after a year third after two years with the idea that performance-based merit increases over those first couple of years might get you where you need to go, assuming your performance is where the company expects it to be. So I, I would just say the levers and, and the specific variables, Adam and you have kind of highlighted, they can go in different directions. They're not just as static, right? Yeah. Hey, you can go in at the absolute high watermark for base salary. Well, just know one, you're stuck. So for the next two or three years, you're not getting a bump. And you're also maybe, maybe that means something else has got to give, you know, and maybe that is a bonus or, or something else. In, in addition to you better, you better perform because you're going in there with a bullseye on your back and you better, you're, you're betting on yourself, obviously, but you also want to make sure to Mitch's point, you're not going in with unrealistic expectations because that can actually be counterintuitive or counterproductive for you. Your performance evals might suffer if they're like, well, this person's pretty good, but they're also earning X amount more than everybody else on my team. So they better do, you know, 20% better than, than the rest of the uh, people on my team. And they actually could negatively impact you. I wrote down a few other things. So relocation package, yeah. not only the amount, but how it's structured. Maybe they want to, maybe they want to uh, give you a lump sum, but the lump sum is after tax instead of grossed up. Maybe they could change it to where it's, you know, direct with a relocation company. You don't have to worry about anything. They'll do that. Uh, you can negotiate possibly your title. Maybe you're interviewing for a manager job, but it's actually a senior manager position that you're, you've been trying to get. You can negotiate possibly title. Work flexibility, work environment flexibility. Maybe they wanted you on site four days a week and you want to negotiate that I can only be there three days a week. You can negotiate car allowances. Maybe you're in a role that requires a lot of travel. 
and you wanted, they wanted to give you a hundred bucks a month and you need 400 bucks a month, that's a lever benefit. You know, sometimes the insurance package, sometimes with smaller companies too, they're going to give you a lump sum. You could probably negotiate how much of a lump sum. Let's say they asked you to go do your due diligence and it costs you 800 bucks a month to gain insurance. They want to give you a stipend for 600. Maybe you negotiate that piece. So there's a, the point is there's a lot of different areas outside of just your cash compensation in the form of a salary or a bonus that you can negotiate. Now, guys, let's dig into. So while we're doing this, guys, if, there, if you're listening live and you have any direct questions, maybe you've run into an issue when it came to salary negotiation in the past and you want to do it differently in the future, or maybe you're dealing with this right now and you have a specific question, throw them in the comments and we'll take them uh, head on. If for some reason you don't want to do that, send a DM and I'll, we'll still make sure to get back to you accordingly. But guys, let's talk about some of the things that need to happen. Now, we've talked about the criteria, right? That you have some of the things that you can negotiate. Let's talk about the process for a good, solid negotiation when it comes to your compensation. Adam, let's uh, come to you first because you and I covered a, a decent portion of this last week as far as the preparation right, for the negotiation. What are some of the things you think people should be doing ahead of time before they know it's time to actually negotiate? Yeah, and I think I, I think that, in my opinion, the, the most sound strategy is to have these conversations early and often. Now, fortunately, we're seeing more transparency, fortunately or unfortunately, I guess. So, hey, I'm, a, I'm applying for a role. The job posting is 78,000 to 120,000. Well, one of my first questions when I hit, you know, talk to the internal recruiter or TA or HR person is, you know, hey, what's the midpoint based on my years of experience and my skill set and everything else? Where do you see this? You know, where where do you see the framework of of an offer if I'm the selected candidate? That way, if it's 85 and you're like, well, I'm already at 110 right now, let's have that conversation now before we even decide to, you know, start the process, start the interview process um, and also make that business case. Just like on Shark Tank, we were just talking offline, you know, all the shark, Damon John and Mark Cuban, all those those folks are like, hey, if this person doesn't have a, a good set of numbers and criteria, then they're automatically, we're, we're, writing them off. Like they have no, uh, yeah, basically we're writing them off. So you need to make a strong business case. Hey, I'm looking, the, the other positions that I'm interviewing are at 120 and here's why. And, and then make that business case, you know, for them, uh, you know, as to why you've earned that. If we're talking about base salary. Nick, what do you think somebody should be doing before they come into a negotiation? Uh, well, I think one of the first things you could do um, in advance of the conversation is ask the recruiter who you're hopefully negotiating with. Strong preference to negotiate with the recruiter or HR versus the hiring manager, right? That's awkward conversation. And oftentimes hiring managers don't have the final say anyway. But I would say understand what are the components that are negotiable. So I think we've listed off a wide array of different things that are potentially negotiable. Every company is a little bit different and it depends on what regulations you adhere to. It, it depends on your industry. It, it depends on a lot of things. And so in the life sciences, I think most of our viewers are, are in the life sciences, either med tech, pharma, biotech, et cetera. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of reimbursement from the Center for Medicaid Services. And so we, generally speaking, are what's called OFCCP regulated, the Office of Federal Contractor Compliance Programs. Say that 10 times fast, right? There's a lot of very uh, specific rules about having consistency, right? So in our case, we can't negotiate uh, time off, right? That's a static benefit. We can't negotiate a lot of those more benefit items because they're they're required. So I think asking the recruiter up front, hey, 
you know, I, I'm excited about the offer. It's not where I wanted it to be. I'm wondering what aspects of the offer benefits are potentially negotiable. And that, that gives you the opportunity to, to prepare for the conversation because not every dollar in every bucket is equal. It's not apples to apples. So what do I mean by that? A dollar in my bonus target is worth $2 in my base salary right? Because the reality, or no, I said that backwards. $2 in my bonus is with one in, because one is guaranteed, the other is not. And so personally, I weight the bonus target at about half the value of base salary. Same with equity. Is it an RSU, restricted stock unit, or is it a stock option? Because there's plenty of upside to both, but there's also a lot of downside to options where there aren't as many for RSUs. And so I think just having an understanding in terms of what levers can we pull so that you can do the analysis beforehand that, hey, if we're $10,000 off on the base salary, I'd like to see $20,000 in the bonus, maybe $14,000 in RSUs, or potentially we could do a sign-on bonus of you know, 10K this year and then another 10K next year, you know, and that that works out to get keep me whole at least for the first two years. And then through performance, I'll get myself back to where we need to be. So I think that's probably the, the first thing I'd ask. And so th- there's a key that you both have said in one way, shape or form in, in your responses, and that is beforehand right? Beforehand. You should really not leave this to the very last conversation. And all of a sudden it's a cold, you're picking up cold about compensation right there and then on the very last conversation. So what do I mean by that? A couple things. Number one, more often than not recruiters or the HR representative, somebody's going to ask you, what are your compensation expectations? Usually earlier in the conversation. And I always tell people, it's not necessarily fair to put a target on your back before you've had the opportunity to demonstrate your value. And sometimes people will push you for concrete numbers or ranges, right? And so you've got to be prepared. What are you going to say in in that situation? So I would first recommend starting with this point in the process, my goal is to learn as much as I can about the opportunity. If it turns out to be a fit for both parties, at that point, all I could expect is a fair offer based on my experience and fair market value for this role. If that's not good enough to delay the conversation a little bit, and they say, well, that's all well and good. You got to give us some parameters. The next thing I would say is, sure, no problem. What do you have slated to pay this for this role? Well, we have a range of seventy dollars to $150,000. Okay, based on what you know about my background, where do you think I'd fall in that range, right? You want them to give you as much detail as you can so that you have something to go on. The first person that speaks in a negotiation always loses. That's part, you know, rule number one of, of negotiation. So you want to get some, some parameters here, some concrete parameters that you can work with if they're forcing you to do this early right? Mm -hmm. If not, delay this so that you can demonstrate so much value throughout the process that they're chasing you. They're like, this guy or gal is going to be in highly sought after by multiple organizations for the same type of role. What are we going to do to get this person on our team? And the leverage starts to swing, the pendulum starts to swing your way more based on the value that you're demonstrating throughout the process. Simultaneously to all this, you should be doing your own research. If it's Glassdoor, if it's LinkedIn, I think LinkedIn has a whole salary thing too, if I'm not mistaken, you can correct me if I'm wrong. Uh, There's a variety of data points out there that may not be 100% accurate, but at least give you some good ballparks of what those types of positions that you're interviewing for are paying in a real-time market. You could be talking to colleagues in the industry, give value to get value, give them something. Hey, you know, I'm interviewing for this type of role. You don't have to tell me your specific salary, but give me some parameters of what do you think is fair and realistic based on my background in this position? Because I know you're in a similar role. You could talk to, you absolutely, absolutely, absolutely need to be talking to headhunters because they know real-time updates of what your colleagues are making. Great headhunters spending four hours on the phone on a daily basis talking to people in your space, and they know 
verbatim what's going on from a compensation standpoint. So even if you're not working with a headhunter to represent you for that role, leverage their expertise. One, they may have another opportunity that you should compare to anyways that you didn't know about. And two, they want to build great relationships with people like yourself for the long term anyway. So they, of course, want to give you as much data and insights as they can so that you come back to them as a source of insights and information moving forward for your own career. So talk to headhunters so that you've got all this data prepared by the time these real conversations start to happen. Adam, I'm going to come back to you. When you said, hey, you should be doing this early and often, I kind of set the stage for how to kind of maybe deflect at the beginning. But when it's time to really talk about this, what do you suggest as far as, let's say that they want to bring you to final interview? Because I think what a lot of companies do backwards is they will keep the process rolling forward, almost like with a cross your fingers, close your eyes, like this person's great. This is our best candidate. We don't know where they're interviewing because we didn't ask. We don't know what our competition is because we didn't ask. We just know that they're a great candidate and we're going to send them through and try to make an offer at the end. So assuming that the candidate needs to really have some agency over the pace of this and really kind of fend for themselves to make sure it's even worth coming to the final piece, what do you suggest as far as language that they can interject in to ensure that they're going to final for a good reason? Absolutely. Hey, I'm excited that I'm, I'm being invited to go to a final interview. I'm excited to meet the team, tour the site, whatever is appropriate. I think a, this is a good and appropriate time to pump the brakes. I'd like to see a copy of the benefit summary so that I can compare everything. And I'd also like to at least discuss the framework of what an offer will look like if I am the chosen candidate. Because again, there you can really and drill down as much as you can, because to your point, if the client's not doing their due diligence, they might hope that they're going to extend an offer to you at $100,000. Well, meanwhile, you're already at 130, and this was a huge waste of everyone's time. Your feathers are ruffled. They're going to be super embarrassed because this is a super lowball offer and now the company looks bad. So this is the chance. And also nobody likes to have those big 11th hour surprises, I, I don't think, on either side. So, hey, let's let's figure out, let's lay, now's the time. Let's lay everything out uh, on the table and see if it makes sense. You you like me, I like you. Let's find out if, if this makes sense to go to the final round. That way we can put money aside. And I can just focus on the culture and the type of work I get to do and the, you know, and all, all of those things, knowing that if those check out, I'm in a position to accept an offer. If you're hearing this as a candidate right now, and you're thinking, oof, this is awkward. I don't, that's not necessarily my, I might be overreaching by bringing this up to an organization that supposedly is the one that's going to be employing me and paying my salary. That's kind of bold for me to do this. If you say it tactfully in the right, they're going to respect you. Nick, yeah. if you disagree, please let us know how you would be how you would feel about a candidate approaching you like this. But please understand all you're doing is you're respecting everyone's time. You're respecting the value that you do have. And if it's not going to be a fit, it's not going to be a fit. So you could take what Adam said. Look, unfortunately, in the past, I've had bad experience where it came to the end. Everybody was excited. We couldn't put it together. I don't want to come across as arrogant and think that I'm getting this offer. That's not what I'm saying. All I'm trying to do is say, see if we can have a transparent conversation to have some rough ballparks to ensure we're both on the same page so that assuming this does go well, which I certainly hope it does, and I'm going to do my very best on my end to make sure it does, that we're not going to have any bottlenecks on the back end as I'm, and you always want to position yourself from a, a point of strength, right? As I'm entertaining these opportunities that are currently on my plate, I just want to make sure that it's situation that actually can come together for both parties. What's your take on that from the inside, Nick, from the the quote-unquote insight? Well, first, I would agree with you that um, I've had hundreds of candidates negotiate or ask to negotiate with me over the years. I have never taken it as a personal affront, an attack, or anything like that. I absolutely think people should feel comfortable doing it. But I think the more important point is that you are validating the fact that no one enjoys doing this. 
that is the reality. I mean, I don't know a single person who says, geez, I'm so pumped up to go into these negotiations for my offer. And between that and a lot of the, you know, taking us back to that initial metric, what was it 54% or 60% don't 59% don't negotiate. Yeah. That's not of every demographic. Some demographics negotiate at near 100%, while other demographics negotiate at near 0%. And this is why we have the gaps in pay. And so because no one enjoys this negotiation process, and because we all want equitable pay, I do things differently. And so I agree with Adam. I don't want to waste my candidates' time. I don't want them to waste my time, often and early. I map out the exact offer they're going to get in the first call. I tell them what the data says, where I got the data, what our compensation strategy is, and how that all equates to exactly what this offer is. I let them know there's no real negotiation. It is what it is. And I give them an opportunity to withdraw or to continue in the process. And if we continue in the process, guess what? The offer matches what I had described. It might be a little bit more. Sometimes my total rewards senior managers a little more caring and loving than me. But my feeling is that people hate this process. And you know, you're trying to fall in love with a candidate and candidates trying to fall in love with a company. It's such a conflict in the middle of that trust and relationship building. So it's it's one that I would encourage people in my situations on the inside to really think hard about, is the negotiation part of the process serving you as an organization? Because it isn't serving candidates for the, the most part. But absolutely ask the question. And many a time I've had candidates come to me at the end of the process, even though I've shared with them how we approach things and they will attempt to negotiate. And I always smile and say, you know, this not 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 with me, but I will tell you sometimes they can get what I would call an olive branch out of that, you know, compensations review. You know, it it might not be the ten thousand you were looking for, it might be fifteen hundred, but fifteen hundred's fifteen hundred, right? So I, I think the the elements that we're talking about are all valid, regardless of the recruiting process and how it's been uh, constructed. I appreciate I was going to ask you that. Uh, you, you beat me to the punch, Nick, because that's always been a, a question of mine is if someone is, and maybe savvy is not the right word, but you know, hey, I just watched the Chris Voss masterclass, the FBI negotiator. I know these tactics. And maybe, you know, I think it is cultural. There's certain cultures that are more willing to negotiate and gender might be as well. And not necessarily it's a machismo thing, but if you look at income disparity, well, men earn more than women. Maybe part of that is at the end of the process, men are more comfortable asking for that 10,000 bucks and they get 1,500 or 3,000. So I'm curi- I was curious to hear how employers do that where where it does keep a level playing field because it always surprises me even today you know we're seeing you know lawsuits for income disparity and i i've always been curious how that happens and perhaps this is a, a piece of that and you do it you do things the right way yeah there's two big pieces right number one and we've hopefully gotten rid of this question what are you making in your current role right and that question is banned in my state it's banned in my world a lot no of states yeah ever works for me will ever ask that question because what happens is well-meaning companies inadvertently perpetuate the gender gap in pay racial gap in pay because yep. if you're always offering say five or ten or 15 20 percent more than someone's currently making and we know when 
women are making less than men, then all you're doing is perpetuating it. So that's one part of it. The second part of it, it is exactly that, that some demographics are better at negotiating. And so when you have a process that's highly susceptible to negotiations, when you start the process, you have an equitable pay model. But when you look at the new hire data, it's no longer equitable because some of those demographics have really negotiated hard, right? Companies want the talent. So they're, they feel like their back's against the wall. I'll never forget having a tough conversation with my vice president of quality, you know, who said to me, the candidate's only asking for $5,000 more. This is an impossible to fill position. Nick, we've got to get the candidate, right? And I just said no, because what yeah. we are doing is blowing up our internal equitability. And that causes a thousand other problems that we're now going to have to deal with, um, not the least of which is increasing everybody in the organization's pay that's at that level and cascade that down. And in the end, he he agreed. We realized that was the wrong direction. We found another great candidate. But you can see how that anxiety of we need to get this candidate leads companies to do things they shouldn't be doing, which is to yeah. give your strong negotiators the better offers. So my take on this is until things change and it doesn't become a thing of negotiation when offers, if you don't ask, you don't know. And you leave everything to, like even when you just said, I told them up front that we don't negotiate, they still did. And sometimes they got 1500 bucks more because of X, Y, and Z. Well, guess what? They got 1500 bucks more and the other person didn't that took you at face value. So I would say... When in doubt, ask. You just don't know unless you ask. They could say no, and you could still make an educated decision from there, but you got to ask. And the other piece that I would wrap up with, and unless you guys have any other thoughts, the other piece I would wrap up with is if you happen to be working with a third-party recruiter and they're not getting involved with this salary piece before you're going to final interview, you got to figure out what's going on here because too many recruiters will just leave it to chance as well and not advocate for you and, and help save your time. So start asking these questions. What piece do you have? What? How are you involved with the salary negotiation? Who are you working with to negotiate the salary? Is it up to me? Should I? Am I doing this directly? Are you helping? What's your experience doing this? You really got to understand what's going on on your behalf and not just assume that the recruiter knows too because it's very, very often not the case. Those are my... My last two cents, guys, anything else that you want to add that you feel like we need to cover here? I, I was going to say, too, to piggyback on what Mitch said, it's, it's funny. A lot of times it's almost seen as a negative uh, where I'll, I'll hear that from a hiring manager or talent acquisition person I'm working for. Wow. We just extended an offer this morning on a different role, maybe. They didn't even ask for any, anything back. Like They almost feel like, is that person savvy? Is that person who we want. Let's say it's a market access role or something where you are negotiating with payers. I want the best negotiator in the in the country on our team. So they should have asked for something. It, it almost feels like almost seen as a negative uh, to a candidate. And then, you know, to Mitch's point too, I was thinking, well, gosh, there should be some sort of value to being able to negotiate. And that's a skill set that you can hone over, over the years too. So should there be some advantage, you know, to that? And you, you went out and, you know, to Mitch's point, no one's going to I shouldn't say no one. Most of the time, they're not going to generally, uh, genuinely offer you something without you asking for it. But that's why I like that conversation or, you know, question you had mentioned, Nick, early in the process here. What is negotiable? Like what of the components are negotiable? And you can say, hey, base salary, if you get the job, it's 120000 What you could ask for is tuition reimbursement, reload you know, uh, other things. And if you can make the business case between now and then and demonstrate value, you might walk away with some, some more uh, favorable terms there holistically. So yeah, it's interesting, you know, with transparency and, and equality, income equality, 
it'll be interesting to see how the comp, you know, they always, it's this Wizard of Oz thing to us as recruiters. They're like, hey, let, let, we're going to go to comp and then we'll tell you what the approval is. And you just picture them, you know, filling in a computer and then it spits out, okay, here's the offer. And, you know, I know there's a lot more that goes into it, but it'll be interesting to see how we fix this inequality problem and also land A players. Like that's part of it too. And if that means paying them more than the next company and, you know, I, I can understand the hiring managers, you know, case too, to your point, Nick, where it's like, gosh, give them the extra 5,000 bucks. Or if you can't do it on salary, give them a sign-on bonus of $5,000. I need them on the team. They're very, very good. Man, woman, a- any culture, whatever. I, they, I want them on the team. And hopefully, yeah, so I, I don't know. I'm just kind of talking in circles, but there's definitely a lot that goes into the negotiation piece. And uh, it'll be interesting to see how this plays out in the next 5, 10, 20 years. Yeah, I just say there's absolutely no downside to ask the question. There's only upside because, again, only thing bad that could happen is they say no. And for those of you in recruiting function, talent acquisition, compensation, start a revolution. Let's just get rid of that part of the process. Let's pick our offers. Let's base them off data. Let's communicate those details with candidates in the first phone call. None of these $100,000 ranges posted because that doesn't solve anything. Because guess what? Your white men are getting the top of the range and everybody else is getting the bottom. That range is the problem. Let's do this. We can do this. Get rid of it. (laughs) It is funny. Yeah, that's the law, right? Post salary transparency to uh, salary on the job description. And now it's like 70 to 225,000. Okay, great. That helps. Appreciate that. Yeah, yeah. That, that's awesome. <laughs> yeah. Legislatures are trying. They just have never been recruiters. They've never been involved yeah. in this process. And so they went after what they thought was the problem. They, I, in my opinion, it, they went after the wrong thing, but um, that's a topic for a whole nother show. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe we'll have one of them on one day. All right, guys, thank you. Thanks to those who tuned in today live. If you watch this back, type replay so that we know uh, you were able to catch the replay. And uh, we'll be back next week with another topic all related to talent. If you are just tuning in for the first time, check out the MedTech Talent Lab podcast wherever you consume a podcast content. There's almost, I think, 86, 87 episodes out there now for your listening pleasure. And uh, guys, appreciate you being here and your participation. Yeah, good to talk to you guys. See you guys next week. Thanks for listening to the MedTech Talent Lab podcast. For more content-rich episodes, log on to theanthonymichaelgroup.com or subscribe to the show on your favorite podcast platform.